Hello, welcome to York Street. We hope that this sermon will be an inspiring and impactful one, just what you need at this time. For any of our sermon-based studies, please head to our website at www.yorkstreet.com.ae. So grab a cuppa, grab your notebook, whatever you need, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. you who don't know me, my name is Andrea. Um, if you are new here today, welcome. We are just delighted to have you here. Delighted to have everyone here, but <laughs> especially to those new people today, welcome. Now, I would like to pray, if that's okay, before we step into this today. Heavenly Father, we do recognise that you are here with us now, and we thank you for your presence with us. And Father, I pray that as we spend these next few minutes, that you would be at work in this room by your Spirit. God, would you help us to be attentive to you? Would you help us to be receptive to you? Pray that there would be a real freedom here this morning for you to work in whatever way that you want to. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus was a master teacher. Many of you know him and know that. He had a lot to say about God, about the human heart, about the future, all the things that mattered. And many of his well-known teachings were delivered in stories, which we call parables. And each Sunday in January, we've been taking one parable and having a look at it. Jesus said that these parables were about himself, and his mission, which was to announce the kingdom of God was arriving on earth as in heaven. And he often drew on familiar and everyday images and situations, which meant that the plot was immediately accessible to those who were listening. But then he would use those things to convey less familiar truths, things about God's nature and God's kingdom ways, God's grace and God's judgment. His masterful use of them provoked the imagination and it invited people to see what God was doing in the world from a new perspective. And not just simply to inform them about the kingdom, but to invite them into the kingdom. The risk for us if we've been around church for a while is that we are so familiar with these parables that we start to treat them as routine and obvious. But in their original context, they taught listeners startling and surprising truths that were actually not the least bit expected in that space. It was like parables pulled the rug from underneath people and left them flat on their backs thinking, what on earth was that? What was that that he just said? And I don't think that these gospel authors have preserved these parables for us to treat them as routine, but rather so that every generation of Jesus' followers can read and ponder them and consider how God's kingdom is still at work to continue to discover the new surprises and the new challenges for us now and to explore their meaning as we seek to live in God's realm. This is the living word of God, right? So these parables should still be stretching our minds and feeding our souls and piercing our hearts and shaping us as true disciples, yes? 
Yeah. Perhaps that is why so often Jesus started his parables with the word, listen. He was saying, pay attention, people. This is not just religious trivia. This is an invitation to life by the very author of life. And we're being invited into the participation in his very best for us. So please don't miss what Jesus might be saying to you today because you think you know this parable. As apprentices of Jesus, we're invited to be formed into the image of Jesus. That means that we're formed into the character of Jesus and the ways of Jesus, that we would be formed theologically in our minds, spiritually in our hearts, relationally, that we would learn to love others, and missionally, so that we would walk into the world and serve it the way that Jesus did. Dallas Willard once said that spiritual formation is a life that is organised around God. So there's two ways that we can do life with God, okay? The first one is to organise our lives around God. What God is doing in this world around his kingdom, his heart, his intentions, his dreams and his desires. The second is to organise God around our life. So essentially, God becomes a footnote on what we're doing. Now, I think I can safely say, looking around the room, that the desire of most of you here today is to live that first way. But here's the thing. Even as faithful disciples of Jesus, we tend to be clueless about our gaps and our blind spots. And Jesus taught this using a bit of exaggeration in Matthew 7. He acknowledges that although we may have deep insight into the needs and gaps of others, the speck, we're basically clueless about the obvious plank in our own eye. So today we're going to head into Jesus' rich teaching on the parable of the sower because it offers us important insights into the hindering movements of our hearts and those formation gaps. So a bit of a different perspective kind of look at it. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 13 and we're going to start at verse 1. Matthew 13. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But then the sun came up and the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, which grew, sorry, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Okay, so we have an image of a sower a gardener, a farmer who is just throwing seed all over the place. 
Interestingly, on a side note, um, one of the earliest images we have of God in the Bible is as a gardener. And in Genesis 2, we read that the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. So in this parable, he's depicted in the same way. God is a sower of seeds. The seeds are the kingdom of God, what Jesus is doing in the world, the words of Jesus, the word. And this farmer is just throwing seeds everywhere, even in places that may not receive them. Now, I don't know a lot about farming. Do we have any farmers here this morning? So you're as clueless as I am. <laughs> but I don't know, what kind of a farmer does that? A clueless farmer or an irresponsible farmer just throwing seeds everywhere? Or well, here's a thought. Maybe a really generous one. One who is at work everywhere, placing seeds in all sorts of places. In this parable, the seed and the sower are the same in each case. The only variable is the soil and how receptive it is. Let's keep reading Jesus' words from verse 18. Listen then, there's that word, listen, to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So there's three kinds of inhospitable soil that doesn't make room for the kingdom of God. There's a guy called Klaus Isler, and he connects these three soils with our differing heart responses and three formation gaps that we have. So I'm borrowing his headings today. So the first was the hard soil, and today we're going to call this one the dismissive gap. It's best summarised by that great word picture, hard heart. What's a hardened heart? It's one that's closed off, even resistant to truth. It's a heart that dismisses what God's up to. The message paraphrases Matthew 13, 15 like this, and I love this. They stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look. So they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me hear them. If we think a hardened heart only occurs in someone who doesn't believe in God, we're very mistaken. We see that Jesus' own disciples struggled with this. And in Mark 8, we see Jesus saying to them, do you still not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? In May last year, we had a Sunday that was set aside to be Baptism Sunday. One of our staff a few weeks before that had been praying um, about that day and felt that God had given them the number eight for the number of baptisms that would happen that day. Now, our dear senior pastor, Tim, was away at that time and when he returned, he somehow misunderstood that we had eight 
baptisms confirmed. And so that's what he announced to everyone. (laughs) And I remember I was sitting down the back of the service that morning just groaning inside going, ah, Tim, I can't believe you've just announced that. Firstly, that wasn't true. And secondly, because um, there had been so many baptisms already that year, how could there possibly be another eight people ready to go? You know, sometimes we don't expend much effort exploring ideas that we don't regard as possible. Later that week on the Wednesday, I was on a Zoom call with a bunch of pastors and we were reading through Mark chapter 6 and we had to take note of what stood out to us. Now the part that was glaring at me was the bit where Jesus couldn't do miracles in his own hometown because of people's lack of faith. Bam, there was my hard heart exposed right in front of me. It was a dismissive gap in my formation. When it was my turn to share, I shared that that's what stood out. And I also said to them I felt that I needed to go away and actually ask God, was my hard heart going to stop him from doing the miracle that Sunday? And I needed to go and tell that to my staff team <laughs> because vulnerability and authenticity is good, yeah? So I did both. I confessed and surrendered my lack of faith and my dismissive heart. So here's what actually happened that Sunday. By the end of our final service for the day, we had had seven baptisms. So there were five that had been organised by then. There were two spontaneous on the day. And my conversation with God during the final song and moments went something like this. Me. God, what are you doing? We're believing for eight There's only been seven. Where's the other one? Who is it? And I was looking around to see who it was. God, would seven not be enough? Me, um, yes, seven. Seven is great. We would still be praising you for seven. But I think there's more. I can feel it. God, stand here and keep worshipping. So some of us did. The band kept playing beyond the end of the service. Some people went out to the foyer, other people went home, but a bunch of us just came down here and just kept worshipping. And then a young lady in tears because God had moved her in a way she'd never felt before, indicated she wanted to be baptised. And then another young man, petrified of standing up in front of people, also made that courageous decision to be baptised right then. So there were nine in all. And it was like God was saying, with a wink, I've been faithful to what you've believed for. But always remember that I can do so much more than you could ever hope or believe for. Would there still have been at least eight baptisms if I hadn't surrendered my hard heart? Quite possibly, yes. But my lack of faith and that dismissive gap had been exposed. And once I was aware of it, I couldn't just ignore it and do nothing. I wonder if your heart looks a little bit hard sometimes. Perhaps some arrogance or some pride, being offended easily, being resentful, unwilling to forgive, indifferent to the word of God, drawing away from God an insensitivity to sin, having lots of head knowledge about the Bible, but it never moving past the mind into the heart, believing in God, but not wanting to do what he says, or an unwillingness to consider things that God might be up to, 
because they make you uncomfortable or you don't understand them. There's times when each of us become closed to Jesus' voice. The danger, of course, is that the longer we resist Jesus, the easier it is to resist Jesus. Hard ground left untilled only becomes harder, like that well-worn path. And not only is the heart unreceptive, Jesus also explicitly says that Satan, the evil one, is active to keep it that way, to hinder any further opportunity for receptivity. Satan, the one who wants for us nothing but death, will do anything he can to keep us away from the one who wants for us nothing but life. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Please be aware of this dismissive gap. The second soil was shallow. It was a rocky place. The seed sprang up quickly but withered just as quickly when the sun came out. There was some initial receptivity, but they had no firm root. So we're going to call this one the discrepancy gap. Now, one of the implications for us here is that Although we may have a particular um, belief, it's possible that this belief hasn't taken deep root in our character. Now, this isn't a new thing for us in 2022. Uh, once again, we see in the Bible that the disciples struggled with this discrepancy gap. Consider Peter's brave statement at the Last Supper before Jesus was arrested. He strongly affirmed out loud his loyalty to Jesus as one of his disciples and close companions. And we see this story unfold in Luke 22. Jesus warned Peter that the devil would soon test each of the disciples. And Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would remain firm. Jesus also added that although Peter would fall, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Yet Peter couldn't hear any of this. He couldn't hear the encouragement that Jesus had prayed for him. He couldn't hear that, Peter, um, that Jesus had noted Peter's key role in encouraging the other disciples. And instead, Peter announced with bravado, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus' response predicting that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. 23 verses later, we find Peter denying Jesus three times, the rooster crowed, and the text says that Peter went outside and wept bitterly. In some cases, like Peter, it's possible that our professed beliefs, those things that we say, have very little relation to how we actually live there is a discrepancy gap. Another example, perhaps closer home to you. It's possible that you will hear Jesus speak to you. And initially, you'll get really excited about what he says and immediately decide to follow after him. However, when the path you're traveling on gets difficult, it's quite possible that you will give up and walk away because the roots are not deep enough. Jesus was up front with the difficult road that he would travel. And at one point, he told his disciples straight up, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Put simply, following Jesus is hard because Jesus goes to hard places. And I apologize to you if we've ever presented following Jesus to you as anything easier than that. Here's what I've learned 
after four decades of following Jesus. He's going to lead you to let go of things that you don't want to let go of. He's going to lead you to love people that you don't want to love. He's going to ask you to forgive people who don't deserve to be forgiven, to bless those who curse you, to take steps of faith without having all the information in front of you, and to die to parts of yourself that you've really come to cherish. That's why it's possible that your enthusiasm will fade. The cost of discipleship is great, but Jesus makes clear that the cost of non-discipleship is even greater. Willard puts it like this, non-discipleship costs abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good, hope that stands firm in the most discouraging circumstances, power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, non-discipleship costs you exactly the abundance of life that Jesus said he came to bring. So it's wise for us to look out for that discrepancy gap in our own lives. The third soil was crowded and thorny. This is the one where there are too many things going on around you, keeping you distracted from the one true and good thing. So we're going to call this one the distracted gap. The implication for us as disciples of Jesus today is that our way of life can cause us to become distracted, slowly drifting off course, away from our priority to follow Jesus. Jesus identifies two specific hindrances, worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Now, when I think of the past two years, there's been plenty to distract us. There's been many worries of this world. How's your priority to follow Jesus managed to stand up in the midst of that? You know, I, I really want to emulate Jesus, I do. And as a follower of Jesus and a leader, that is so important. But despite my, my deepest desire to do that, sometimes I find myself far from there. Let me share with you one of my epic mum fails. As I struggled with my own distracted gap last year, that stopped me from seeing what Jesus was up to. Darren and I have a 19-year-old son, Josiah. Um, a lot of you would know him. Now, Josiah's had on his heart for many years now to do a discipleship training school with YWAM. The original plan was Perth, but because of COVID, he didn't get to go after year 12 as he hoped. But in that time of waiting, God did a work in his heart and moved it and his gaze towards Cambodia. And in August last year, Josiah pushed on some doors and began having conversations with YWAM in Cambodia. And in early September, he came and announced to us that if he was gonna go to the January school, he would have to leave in early December. Now that was only three months away. And to put this in context, at the time we were in a hard lockdown. And international travel was not a thing, and vaccinations for 18-year-olds were not much of a thing either. And I flipped. Josiah and I are super close, like super close, but I lost it. I was so mad at him. 
And I told him that that was ridiculous and impossible and a passport would take eight weeks and we'd been told six for a visa and that was already 14 weeks, so that was out of the time frame. And it was gonna cost him an extra $3,000 for quarantine on arrival and, and extroverts can't do quarantine for two weeks. That would be disastrous. And he'd have to get an exemption from the Australian government to leave the country and he'd have to be double vaxxed and blah, 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 blah. Any of you parents find yourself doing that accidentally sometimes? Man, I just kept on going at him. And this is part of a message that I sent three of my workmates later that evening. After giving them some context to what had happened and spouting my anger in words on Messenger, I then wrote this. Please pray for wisdom and calm for me instead of overreacting, and an openness on his behalf to listen to voices that are perhaps asking questions that he just doesn't want to consider. I'm all for God intervening if he wants to, and I know that all things are possible with him, but with our current COVID situation and flow-on effects to all things travel, it seems difficult and unlikely and unwise. Waiting an extra six months could just shift all of that. He just seems very done with waiting and not willing to see what God might be doing in the waiting room. Sigh, I'm tired. <laughs> Who was it that couldn't see? Who wasn't receptive to what Jesus was doing? wasn't Josiah. He had his eyes firmly fixed on what Jesus was up to. I had my eyes firmly on a pandemic. Thorns, weeds, the lot, distracted gap. And I took my very toxic self to bed that night, <laughs> cried out to God. Literally, I cried myself to sleep. And I asked God to change my heart and my perspective because I was mortified by what had come out of my mouth and the way it came out and the argument it caused with someone that I loved dearly. Somehow by the next morning, God had done something in me and I wake up and thought, wow, this might actually happen. And I apologized to my kid and over the next three months, every mountain moved. And then in December, this happened. The only person in the world who wears a Kathmandu jacket to Cambodia. And then in January, this happened. So this is his DTS class that he's currently hanging out with. How do we avoid that distracted gap? It requires vigilance, it requires intentionality, it requires regular time set aside for self-examination in the presence of the Holy Spirit to monitor our hearts and our priorities. Do you find yourself distracted from your priority to follow Jesus? I wanna share with you the words of Richard Foster from his book, Prayer, which I think is a really beautiful invitation. Today, the heart of God is an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we've forgotten him. He weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence. And he's inviting you and me to come home to come back to where we belong, to come home to that for which we were created. His arms are stretched out wide to receive us. His heart is enlarged to take us in. 
Jesus' parable also included a fourth soil, a hospitable soil. It's the one that makes room for what God's doing, a soil that has space for God, a soil that has time for God, a soil that's not so crowded out that there's no room for this thing to grow. It's the one that is receptive. So let's get specific and personal today. Where are you at today? Now, I've been vulnerable with you about some of my gaps in the hope that you will be prepared to do the same. The difference is yours don't end up on the internet like mine will now. I know that our immediate assumption is to think, I'm the good soil. But can I suggest that assuming you're the good soil is probably not the wisest place to start? But to begin instead in a place of humility and say, God, is there any soil in my life that's not receptive to what you're doing? Because if we're honest, each of us has within our own heart and life the capacity to be like each of these soils at different times. You're just as likely to find the thorns and stones in my heart as you are the fertile soil, even though what I desire is the fertile soil. And I'm guessing that you're probably no different. So why did I choose to share this parable with you today when there were so many more to choose from? Because I think in this season, it is so important that we're aware of these gaps. I think over the past couple of years, we've been reconnected with the possibility of disruption and suffering. And church history shows that crisis always precedes renewal. And I can't help but think that we're currently in a sacred time and a sacred space, and I believe a real bend-the-knee moment that we don't want to miss. A time for hungry, for God disciples, disciples who pursue Jesus, disciples with an increased dependency on God and the Holy Spirit, disciples who are willing to say yes to where God is stepping. We need disciples who are receptive to what God is up to. And to do that, we've got to be aware of these gaps, those places in our heart that hinder us from living into the life of Jesus. There are just so many challenges to our growth in faith. If we could just take for granted that we were going to grow and become more like Jesus, then Jesus wouldn't have had to tell us this parable, but he did. My invitation to each of you today is for you to make priority sometime this week, some time to sit by yourself, to invite the Holy Spirit to be with you, and then ask that question. God, is there any soil in my life right now that's not receptive to what you're doing? What's awesome about the Holy Spirit is that he does stuff and he says stuff when you ask him to. So be ready and be sensitive because he will reveal things to you. Now, there is no condemnation here. There is no shame. If you're hearing voices of condemnation, that is not the Holy Spirit. The invitation here is just to have him guide you lovingly to see what you need to see. We have a generous God, one who is sowing seeds and working everywhere. And he's so gracious and so loving that he invites us to be part of what he's sowing at the moment. The problem is never what the sower is up to. The problem is that sometimes we don't receive 
what the sower is up to. We've got to understand that it's never God's absence or, or lack of ability that keeps us from formation of becoming more like Jesus. And that, my friends, changes the conversation. The impact of us recognising and dealing with our heart responses and gaps is profound. And it helps us to not miss the generosity of his offer here to participate in his kingdom now. In this parable, the good soil just avoids getting in the way. It simply receives and surrenders to the sower and its seed. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you help us firmly fix our eyes on you? Would you help us quiet our hearts and would you speak to us? Father, would you show us those gaps that we all have in our lives, those things that right now are, are, are hindering us from living into the best life that you offer us? God, I pray for a real sense of humility in this place today, a real sense of humility in people's hearts and minds, and that each one here who follows you would be willing to ask that question. Is there anything that's stopping us from receiving what you're doing? Father, thank you for this time today. Thank you that you've been with us. Would you keep helping us to grow? We know that we can't do that ourselves, that we need you for that. Would you continue to grow us and challenge us this week? In Jesus' name, amen.